The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, April 23rd, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I suppose we're going to start with the big news of the day, and that's that Mark Pope just beat John Calipari and Chris Beard, not to mention Sean Miller, Mark Few, Eric Musselman, and Penny Hardaway for Purdue grad transfer Matt Harm, because Matt Harms is headed to BYU. Norlander, it started to look like the seven foot three center was headed to Provo on Wednesday. So the actual announcement when it happened was not a surprise. But that said, on the day Matt Harms announced he was leaving Purdue, I don't know anybody who had BYU as the likely destination. So in that sense, this is a little surprising. Are you surprised Matt Harms is going to be a BYU Cougar next season? Yeah, I mean, five, six days ago, I thought that Matt Harms was headed for Kentucky. So uh, clearly, uh, Mark Pope was able to convince him that, and, and Harms has obviously spoken with a number of outlets here uh, who coincided their coverage with the announcement that he would be going to BYU, um, that things like, you know, receiving a bunch of shoes, the quality of a locker room do- doesn't matter to him. He wants to go to a spot where. Uh, Frankly, he has the best chance at the most production for his final year of college basketball. Again, whenever that might start there. It's a really nice get for BYU. Um, You also have... uh, You've got a player here who is coveted, uh, but I wonder... You know, he's good. I just... uh, let's not overrate him in the process kind of deal here. We did this a year ago to a certain extent with Kerry Blackshear Jr. with Florida. Uh, He wound up being a fine player, but not nearly as good as he was hyped to be. That, to a certain extent, happened the season before with Reed Travis, who went to Kentucky and certainly had some moments, but I would say he didn't quite match the hype. Frankly, just to keep it in Kentucky, Nate Sestina was not as good as uh, I think we would have been led to believe heading into last season as a graduate transfer leaving the Patriot League to go and join UK. And that's nothing to say with anything with UK. They do an amazing job at developing talent there. But uh, let's just keep it all in perspective. Matt Harms has been a seven foot three role player for the past three seasons at Purdue. He wanted a new opportunity. He can definitely help BYU be better, but I don't think that he is going to go to BYU and suddenly turn into a top 50 or 75 player in college basketball. I think his window for that would have been the past two seasons. He couldn't crack through it. He's a fine player, certainly a notable one, uh, seven foot three guy that's been on a relevant team the past three seasons. BYU gets a good one, but if you're a Kentucky fan or a Texas Tech fan, yeah, it would have been nice to have him, but I don't think not having Matt Harms um, makes a you know a season-altering projection for either of those programs. While they would have been better without him by not having him, it's not like you've lost out on something great otherwise. 
Right. Um, Listen, Matt Harms was coveted to this degree and became like a legitimate national story because he's the best thing available. But he's the best thing available, um, to use a possibly poor analogy, it's like walking into a bar and that, that here's the best looking person, male or female. I am trying, I'm not trying to get sexist here. <laughs> male or female. Here's the best looking person in the bar, but the bar is mostly filled with ugly people. You know, <laughs> that's what Matt Harms is. He's a, he's a perfectly somewhat attractive person in a bar filled with ugly people. So everybody wants that person. Um, he uh, would have mattered at Kentucky if only because, you know, Kentucky returned zero front court players. I don't mean zero good ones. I mean zero. <laughs> they were, and and this is the first time, I believe this is true. They they return zero front court players and they're not enrolling a single five star front court player. Uh, and by front court player, I mean somebody that is listed by the recruiting websites as a power forward or a center. So they have no traditional bigs on the roster. Now they'll get by, they'll be fine, but they have no traditional bigs on the roster. So missing Matt Harms hurts them to that degree. Texas Tech could use a rim protecting center. The team that played for the national championship a couple of years ago uh, certainly had one. But yes, you know they they didn't just miss out on frankly somebody as good as Kerry Blackshear. You know they they just missed out on the best traditional big available. And I will say. On the surface, I'm a little surprised by it. Um, you know, BYU is losing its top three scores, including Yoli Childs, actually losing four of the top five and five of the top seven mm-hmm. from a very good team, a team that finished 13th at Kid Palm. They were legitimate Final Four candidates, I think. But, like, BYU is not a preseason top 25 team. I'm not even sure if BYU is a preseason projected NCAA tournament team. And so when I talk about these things, I always preface it with, um, listen, what matters to me might not matter to somebody else and vice versa. But what I think would matter to me if I were Matt Harms is I want to go somewhere. If I'm going to leave Purdue, uh, which is an incredible program, I want to go somewhere where I can maybe achieve more while playing a prominent role. And he had that opportunity at Kentucky and he had that opportunity at Texas Tech. And that's why I'm a little surprised that he picked BYU. But by all accounts, Mark and his staff just did an incredible job of making him feel comfortable, of building a certain level of trust. They seem to make a really big, significant impact on him. And that speaks well to the BYU um, staff. And it'll make BYU better. Will it make BYU good? I don't know. But it'll make BYU better, sure. Yeah, top 10 offense in college basketball last season. The number one three-point shooting team was BYU. They made 41.9% of their threes. Um, and was it's just kind of a, an offense dictated around best shot, take it, everyone get back on defense. A miserable offensive rebounding uh, team, but solid on the other end there. Matt Harms, by the way, just a, a career reset on his numbers. Um, 7.5 points, 4.4 rebounds, 0.9 assists, a 58.2% shooter uh, overall from the field and 28.1% from three. That is for his college career. So, um there's certainly potential that can be tapped into there, and BYU, I think, can be in the mix in the WCC Gonzaga. You know, we'll see. Corey Kispert is testing the waters now, and we'll get to some other stuff in a minute there. But um, I think the WCC will still remain competitive and can still kind of trend the right way in terms of having um, 
three teams that can vie for tournament inclusion, and maybe a fourth that's that's strongly in the mix there. We'll see what's uh, what shakes down with the likes of Pepperdine and San Francisco. But um, it's quite obvious that Matt Harms thinks that he can have his best stats, his best minutes uh, of his career playing at BYU, whereas that just might not have been the case at Texas Tech or Kentucky. So good on you know what, good on him. It's a weird 2020 in general when we talk about coveted players, be they prospects or transfers, and those players opting to not go to traditional powerhouse schools, GP. I mean, Harms is just the latest when you also look at, and some of this is because of who's been hired on staff, so I'm fully aware of that, but Oklahoma State has arguably the best prospect in the 2020 class in Kate Cunningham. Uh, Isaiah Mobley at USC is going there. You're you're seeing guys all over the place kind of not pick the traditional big schools. Not to say that those schools aren't still getting good players. They are, but 2020 is setting up to be a different kind of year in that respect. Yeah, keep, yeah, Kentucky and Duke still have the best recruiting classes in the country, so yes. we're staying consistent at the tip top. But you're right. Like, I, I think a lot of people were surprised, like that Matt Harms would have an opportunity to go to Kentucky and presumably start at the five, and decided to pass on that to go to BYU. In fact, I had somebody ask me on Twitter, like, is Matt Harms a Mormon? Like, did that play a role in this? And I didn't think so, but I went, you know, I said, well, you know, I'll double check it. You know, surely somebody's written that somewhere if it's going to be a factor. And when I typed in, I thought this was funny. You know how when you go to Google, you can type in a few words and then it'll autofill like the most common things that are searched. And when I typed the words, is Matt Harms, it autofilled to <laughs> LDS. Oh, LDS. Okay. <laughs> yes. So a lot of people were apparently asking that question, looking for any reason that Matt Harms might have gone to to BYU over Kentucky and Texas Tech. Uh, to my knowledge, he is not. But, you know, it should be noted, you don't have to be a Baptist to go to Baylor. You don't have to be a Mormon to go to BYU. So Matt Harms will be at BYU playing for Mark Pope. And that sort of leads me into the next thing I wanted to talk about. Norlander has been looking back at coaching hires from various years um, one of which uh, was related to 2019, the hires that were made in advance of this past season. I got real issues with this list. We're mm. going to get into it next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So Matt Norlander has ranked the best hires from last offseason. And the way it ties back to Matt Harms is, number one is BYU's Mark Pope, which is fine, by the way. Mark was awesome in year one. BYU was really good. Like I said, legitimate Final Four threat. And now he has beaten 
you know, Kentucky, Texas Tech, Memphis, Arkansas, real programs to land one of the best grad transfers on the market. But boy, okay. oh boy, oh boy. Okay, okay. I, I don't even know where you're going with this, so definitely feel free to enlighten me. But just to set this up, I took all of the hires from a year ago and just simply tried to pick out the 12 – there were 60 hires, so the top 20%, the 12 most impressive in the first year – uh, and there are about 16 overall candidates that I consider for the top 12. So is your issue with a guy that didn't even make the list or a guy who's too far down the list? A guy who's too far down the list. Okay. So, Oh, my gosh. I already know where this is. Go ahead. I know where it's going. Go ahead. A, Tell him who number a, six is. A man whose name will be on the court at Pauley Pavilion, Mick and Nail Court. Mick the Goat? <laughs> number six? Are you out of your mind? Mick Crow five buyers last season, last year better than Mick the Goat at UCLA? Explain yourself. That totally disrespectful. It's not it's not. The entire season has to be accounted for. This is you want to stand up for Mick the Goat being eight and nine at one point with home losses to Hofstra and Cal State Fullerton? That's because he was whipping that team. He was whipping that roster into shape. He was establishing a culture. It took 17 games to establish a culture. Yeah. Cal State Fullerton, 77-74 loss. Hofstra, 88-78. That's some real culture establishment. What about <laughs> what about starting 1-3 and three in the Pac-12? What do we got there? Establishing a culture. Showing a group of players who were largely recruited by somebody else that you will do this your way. And they can mm. either adapt to your approach or they can move on. But you will not bend and you'll never break. That's how you establish a culture and have your UCLA Bruins operating at the top of the sport by the time Selection Sunday was approaching. UCLA finished 78th in Ken Palm. So, but uh, they improved by like nearly 75 spots from that eight and nine record. And if you're going to reference Ken Palm, it's important to reference this. They had one of the top 10 adjusted efficiency margins um, in the final whatever games that they play. Okay. <laughs> I'm not making it up. Making it, no, <laughs> I'm saying you're making, I'm not saying you're making it up. I'm saying you're making one beautiful case there. In fact, now that we've really, I actually, I might have Mick too high to be honest. Uh, six, six what? might be too. What? <laughs> I got to give my guy Dane Fisher some more love. William Mary down at eight. Got to give him some love there. Listen, Mick Cronin had an eight and nine team. They went eleven and three the rest of the way, and that's um, when they were operating with a top ten adjusted efficiency margin in the entire country. Beat Arizona twice. Established a culture. Re-energized a fan base. Oh, by the way, signed a five-star point guard and is going to have a preseason top 25 team next season. And there are five hires better than that? The the Pac-12 coach of the year. I mean. The five hires better than the Pac-12 coach of the year. How much would you be in on this if you didn't look like Mick Cronin's brother? I like, how much does that really play into this? I do like that there's somebody who's kind of looks like me. Not kind of. A- there's no kind of <laughs> about it. If both of you are walking and you're looking at you from behind. You're basically the same person. You can't tell the difference. <laughs> Except only one of us is the Pac-12 coach of the year. Fair enough. How Nick- can I have five people ranked from last year's hires ahead of the reigning Pac-12 coach of the year? Here's what I got. 
He I, won the John Wooden Coach of the Year do award. Do you understand how hard it is to step into the same arena where Rick Bird coached for decades and to get that team to an automatic bid in the NCAA tournament right away. That's what Casey Alexander did. Listen, I'm not here. I'm not here to try to move Casey Alexander down the you list. His right, daughter might be listening right now. That's 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 also correct. Yeah, shouts to the Alexander family who are listeners to the podcast. Had no influence on my rankings. Juwan Howard at three at Michigan. I did a couple double pumps on that. Um, I wound up with the same record, by the way, as UCLA and your beloved McCronin, both 19 and 12 programs, but they went kind of in the opposite directions. UCLA got off to its rough start, started ended strong. Michigan was the one of the hottest teams and best stories in the sport for the first three weeks of last season, uh, then sputtered a bit. Uh, but I gave Howard the number three spot overall. Four, Cincinnati, John Brannon. Um, had the ideal scenario of leaving a mid-major job for a power conference job and not having to sell his house. Goes from northern Kentucky to Cincinnati, stays where he is, actually winds up with a share of the American Athletic Conference tournament title, and uh, really pulled it together. Built, established a culture. Okay, <laughs> He did. Final it month of the season. That Mick left Cincinnati to go to UCLA and, like, in season, established a culture. And John did the same thing. Like, Mick got off to a rough start at UCLA, and John got off to a rough start at Cincinnati, and they both established a culture. They do have that in common. Yeah, it never got to the point where I think uh, Jaron Cumberland and, and John Brandon were, like, openly hating each other. But there were definitely some hurdles that had to be cleared there in the early parts of the season, and they, uh, they cobbled it together. It would have been interesting to see what they would have done in the postseason. And then – Mentioning Northern Kentucky, Darren Horn, who's hot, who, but when I say Darren Horn, what am I thinking, GP? He coached, he, he coached Devin Downey. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely correct. So we're on the two things, actually. He coached Devin Downey, and for as long as I live, I'll never forget Tiger Woods being on the 17th hole of one of the most amazing, unforgettable Masters championships you could ever imagine. And it's like, 555 on that master Sunday and Parrish breaks the news that Darren Horn's been hired at Northern Kentucky. It's like my timeline was nothing but golf tweets and then it's just Parrish. You don't even remember this happening, I'm sure. I don't remember. I don't remember this happening. I, oh, I, without I'm a doubt. sure I just got a text and then I said, "Okay, yes. that sounds good." Yes, it was everyone going nuts over Tiger and then you were like sources have told CBS Sports Darren Horn will be the next coach at Northern Kentucky. <laughs> I don't remember. So, so, I was just like, I yeah. was watching Tiger, and I just, I, I probably got a text, and I was like, is it done? You know how these things work. You get the text message, and you're like, is it done? And then somebody replies, done. And you go, okay, Darren Horn's the next coach at Northern Kentucky. Go Tiger. I don't remember that story, <laughs> but I do remember that he coached Devin Downey. Devin Downey, of course. Of course. Of course he led, coached Devin. Led okay. South Carolina to yeah. what was John Calipari's first ever loss at Kentucky. Unforgettable. Uh, so Darren Horn, Northern Kentucky and Belmont were the only two schools slash only two coaches on the list to have uh, legitimately and actually earned a 2020 NCAA tournament invite. They both won the auto bids there. UCLA was six. Musselman at Arkansas had seventh. And then Dane Fisher, William & Mary, eight. Carm Massiarello at nine with Siena. The, the subject of an in-season tremendous trivia time from a user, by the way, I included that little nugget in my capsule. Until New Year's Eve, Siena was the team that went the longest being undefeated at home and winless on the road. Like the first 16 games of the season. They never lost at home and they never won away from home. Funky. Uh, and then they won 12 of their final 13, did Siena. Eric Henderson, who took over for TJ Altselberger, 
South Dakota State was in there at number 10. Todd Golden built in something nice at San Fran, 11. And then Steve Alford with Nevada uh, was number 12 with another 19 and 12 finish there. I did consider um, Dustin Kearns at App State. I think Dustin Kearns at App State actually had the most wins year over year for a first-year coach, um, but was just one game above 500 versus 61 competition. Rob Lanier uh, at uh, at Georgia State was in there, and then Buzz Williams at Texas A&M was also under consideration. But by far, just to loop this all the way back around here, Mark Pope was clearly the number one winner of this. Um, BYU would have been a five or a six seed in the NCAA tournament, had its best... Ken Palm finish since the three seed year under Jimmer Fredette. A really good offense. Uh, had a had a great roster, but he stepped into a situation and got some real velocity going with that. So um, among the sixty hires from a season ago, uh, BYU fans, you, you got to be feeling this is this, this podcast is for you. By the way, you know, start with harms and then get all this. Uh, the ideal scenario, and we'll see what happens in year two. If I'm being honest. I think you could probably take the top seven that you have, Mark Pope, Casey Alexander, Juwan Howard, John Brandon, Darren Horn, Mick Cronin, Eric Musselman, and put them in any order pretty reasonably. I mean, yeah, Musselman's number seven on that list, and that's somebody who took over a program that went to the NIT, turned it into an NCAA tournament team in year one, signed a top ten recruiting class, and should have an NCAA tournament team in year two. So, like, that's about as good as you could reasonably expect – at Arkansas when you hire Eric Musselman. So uh, it's a good list. It's a fun list. If people haven't seen it yet, go check that out at cbssports.com. So the last thing I wanted to get to is that um, the deadline for underclassmen to declare for the NBA draft is Sunday night at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. And most of the players who matter have already announced what they're going to do. They're either in the draft for good They're either not entering the draft, just coming back to school, or they're in the draft, but only testing the waters. They're going to maintain their college eligibility. The two big names out there that haven't is Gonzaga's Philip Petrushev and Memphis's Precious Achua. Now, um, I don't want to spend any time on Precious. Nobody I've talked to thinks he's coming back. I don't know why he hasn't announced something yet, but here's a guy who's a projected top 15 pick. Literally no projected first-round pick has announced he's coming back to school yet. I don't expect Precious Achua to be the first. So the real one here is is Gonzaga's Philip Petrushev because he's not a projected first-round pick, but he is a projected first-team All-American for the team that I have ranked number one in the top 25 and one right now. Now, to be clear, he could announce that he is going to enter the NBA draft and maintain his college eligibility and still return to school. Players who do that have until June 15th to withdraw. and there's a chance that date could even be pushed back because there's a good chance the draft is going to be pushed back because of the coronavirus pandemic. But ultimately, again, while recognizing the the correct answer anytime you're asked this question is he should do whatever he wants to do. Like that's always the right answer. But take that, set it over here. If you were Philip Petrushev, what would you do? What do you think you would do? Um, yeah, it's always hard to... The older we get to put ourselves into the the shoes of these 19, 20, 21-year-olds, uh, probably return only because I should be setting up for a, a just studly, studly junior season. Still relatively young, a, a lot to grow. Uh, you can see what other bigs have been able to do once they've left uh, Gonzaga after two, three, even four years there. Um, 
I think that I would return. We'll see what happens with Corey Kispert, who has declared and whose draftability, I think, is is frankly in the 45 to 60 range. Uh, but he could return and wind up being a fantastic player as well. Uh, but Petrusev, you know, 17.5 points last season, 7.9 rebounds, an assist and a half per game. Pretty good shooter from the field overall, 56.2%. Um, so I think that... I think that I would return. I actually happened to speak with Mark Few uh, about five days ago uh, on just a bunch of random stuff there, um, and we were just casually speaking about. Uh, I was like, "You you got a, a pretty awesome team set up here if you got all your guys back." And you know, they're just going through the process of, all right, what what feedback can they possibly get right now? And uh, you know, it's it actually speaks to Few and his staff's ability. Like, if you even told me that they lost Philip. I still think Gonzaga, and they got Kispert back. Like I still think Gonzaga can be a top five team in America, uh, just because of the track record and what. And look what they did. It's just nuts. Look what they did last season when few, who has spoken openly about this multiple times, thought that he was going to have his his worst team in fifteen plus seasons, and that just didn't happen. Um, it just Gonzaga has a way of not even necessarily reinventing itself. Just recharging the battery and being good to go, and it's not just because of the conference it's in. They they always schedule ambitiously, and that's going to continue to be the case. And because of that, um, that that really helps their overall profile and their resume, and they can continue to get good seeds. But I would, I would return. I didn't ask a few specifically on um, his expectations with any of these guys, uh, but I, I, one way or the other, I would think that he would lean that uh, Petrushev is going to come back. But but we wait and see. We're going to get a lot of. A lot of guys who will make this decision at the 11th hour, if you will, GP, the deadlines on Sunday. And so with that, you're going to probably get that last flood of a couple dozen guys, and then they're going to have six to eight weeks, theoretically, to decide what they're going to do. But ultimately, I'm going to say Petrushev comes back. Yeah, I think I think so as well. It's interesting uh, because Kispert – like the, the two names at Gonzaga are Corey Kispert and Philip Petrushev. Kispert is the better pro prospect right now. Um but Petrushev's the better college player. Like if Petrushev comes back and Garza comes back, you know, you're, mm-hmm. they're both first team preseason All-Americans. And if Garza were to not come back for some reason, you could make a strong case that Petrushev should be um, the preseason national player of the year. His numbers were incredible uh, for an incredible team th- this past season. And so, you know, I was talking to my friend Brenna Green, who works for one of the television stations. Uh, in Spokane and you know what I tried to explain not that she needed me to explain it to her but what I tried to explain is like it's one thing when you are somebody like Obi Toppin and you could come back to school be on a preseason top 10 team and be the preseason national player of the year after already being a national player of the year Um, or be the fifth pick in the draft like you know you're picking between the fifth pick and you don't you just go you're going to go be the fifth pick in the draft or the eighth pick in the draft those aren't really difficult decisions for most people but with Philip, you're picking between what? Being picked 48th or not at all? I mean, th- that's probably his realistic options. So if your options are be picked second round or not at all, or come back to school, be on the preseason t- number one team, be a preseason first team All American, and have an opportunity to lead a school to its first national championship in history, like that's worth something. Like it, that's valuable. Um, you know, I, I know Carmelo Anthony d- d- didn't get paid every two weeks. Why was at Syracuse? Or at least I don't think he did. Like it certainly wasn't a direct deposit in a, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But like, if you were to ask him 
about his most fun year playing basketball. I bet you that one year of college basketball leading Syracuse to a national championship is on the list pretty high, maybe at the top. And so um, I, I would assume for those reasons, like Phillips really, you know, you can be a second round pick next year um, or, or maybe even something better than that. But you'll never have an opportunity to be probably um, the best player on the best team at what, you know, in, in the United States of America again at, at any level of basketball. And he's going to have that opportunity this season. And so um, I, 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 we'll see what he does. I like to think that if it were my son, I would advise him to come back and take advantage of that unique situation. I'd like to think if it were me, I would advise him to come back and take advantage of that situation. And it is massive for Gonzaga. Um, the Zags, like you point out, are going to be good no matter what. They always are. But we talked about it on a previous podcast. I have subsequently done all of the research on it. And I actually um, have a column, I think, coming out Friday that that details it. But Kansas, Dayton, Duke, Michigan State, Louisville, Maryland were six of the top 11 teams in the final Ken Palm standings this past season. It was number one, Kansas, number four, Dayton, number five, Duke, number seven, Michigan State, number nine, Louisville, number 11, Maryland. Six of the top 11. And the one thing they all had in common is that they benefited from a legitimate NBA prospect, like somebody who would have been picked in the 2019 NBA draft coming back to school. At Kansas, it was Devon Dotson. At Dayton, it was Obi Toppin. At Duke, it was Trey Jones. At Michigan State, it was Cassius Winston. At Louisville, it was Jordan War. At Maryland, it was Jalen Smith. And as I also point out in the column, 2019 champ, Virginia, benefited from DeAndre Hunter coming back to school. 2018 champ, Villanova, benefited from Jalen Brunson and Mikel Bridges coming back to school. 2017 champ, North Carolina, benefited from Justin Jackson coming back to school. So the past three national champions, the team that was favored to win the 2020 tournament, if we'd have played it, and six of the top 11 teams in the final Ken Palm standings this past season all have one thing in common. They got a legitimate NBA prospect to come back to school. And so that's where Gonzaga fits right now with both Petrushev and Kispert. Can they get them both to come back to school? Can they get one of them to come back to school? What happens if they lose both? Because what recent history shows us is that that's the key to winning a national championship. It's not necessarily enrolling the best recruiting class. I mean, you'd love to do that as well. But the teams that are usually very good in this sport are teams that return legitimate NBA players as opposed to enroll legitimate NBA players. That's what that's what the research shows, at least. Yeah, which definitely makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking out loud here. Perhaps for our next pod, whenever we do it next week, um, the deadline's Sunday, so maybe we get it done earlier in the week, but uh, we can take a look at 15 to 20 intriguing guys, kind of kind of guys that hit that sweet spot mix GP of uh, important players at the college level, like extremely important players that have an interesting choice because they are not projected to be in the first round. They might be projected second round or just near that cut line, and we can kind of make our, our projections and guesses on whether they will stay or will they return because uh, we'll have – Probably around 150, 160 guys, all told, underclassmen that will wind up declaring uh, by the time the deadline hits on Sunday, and, uh, and and we'll wait and see on that. So we'll just keep that in mind, and for any names that you might need to know, obviously go to cbsports.com, and the CBS Sports app will have that, uh, but then we'll keep you up to date with, with all of that, and then as we spin forward to the draft, uh, names you need to know. GP, I did want to bring up something off-topic real quick, but I didn't want to swerve to that uh, unless you had anything else on Petrushev or, or Kispert or anyone else in general. 
No, no, no. I'm good. Okay. Um, I mentioned them. I wanted to mention this on the previous podcast, but I had forgotten. Um, has nothing to do with what we talked about, but I want to give a listener a shout because it sounds like a genuinely awesome person. Our colleague, Dennis Dodd, actually did a story on him about a week and a half, two weeks ago. His name's Alex Charlton. He uh, grew up in Kansas, huge Jayhawks fan. Uh, I had been messaging with him. He wants me to give you grief on the podcast for underrating his Jayhawks heading into next season. But uh, this is a young man who has been trying to break into college football coaching for a while, uh, served under Mark Mangino uh, at Kansas and has uh, been working a, a, as a GA um, and has basically put his entire career aspirations uh, on halt to go and and serve on the front lines uh, in hospitals in New York City. Um, and he's a listener to the pod. He doesn't know that I'm going to do this, but Alex, uh, that's just awesome, man. And you have such an inspirational story. If you want to read more about it, Dennis Dodd did a wonderful job uh, recently at CBSSports.com. And I just wanted to say, you know, Parrish and I, we we both know people that have been afflicted with COVID-19. There are people in the media that we know, including Jody Dembling, who works for 247 Sports, and... Uh, had an army of supporters behind him, and thank goodness Jody is doing well uh, at home, has covered Louisville tremendously well for such a long time. Um, we have reached a point in this pandemic where inevitably people we know have been have been touched by this, um, and, and even even more folks, uh, including some that, uh, that we work with. And we're so happy that they have been able to, to win their battles. Their loved ones have been able to continue to fight with this. But... Um, we're well aware that given how many people are working on the front lines, be it in hospitals or in delivery or in grocery services, might happen to listen to this podcast. I just wanted to send our sincere, heartfelt thanks to you. And if this podcast is just a minuscule thing that you use to help make your day better, it is it is genuinely our our honor, our privilege. We recently got back information that, you know, our March podcast numbers without a tournament were the most downloaded month ever and were up nearly, you know, uh, 20% from what they were a year ago. You've helped grow the podcast. It means a lot. Obviously, we're not doing it with as much frequency in the offseason as usual because there's just not enough there. But for everyone uh, that has helped or is helping in any way, it's so sincerely appreciated. And for those that are battling this and have to battle this on a daily basis, uh, if you happen to be a listener, I just didn't want to go another podcast without directly speaking to those people. We do appreciate you wherever you are as we continue to try and figure out what we're going to do as a country with this. You know, Parrish and I, our livelihoods are attached to how our country responds to it. Whenever college sports can resume again, we have so many questions there. But our sincere gratitude and, uh, you know, we love the goofy podcasts and this hasn't been a, a goofy one, so to speak. Uh, we actually pride ourselves on our ability to uh Get serious when need be, uh, get off the rails uh, unexpectedly and all that stuff. But uh, to Alex Charlton and everyone else that might be on the front lines who happens to be a listener to the podcast, I just wanted to send our thanks to you. So GP didn't know this was coming, but I'll throw it back to you. But I just I didn't want to let one podcast go by uh, without at least acknowledging those people. Yeah, it, it's been obviously a wild past month in our country. More than 40,000 people have died from this um, You know, in the past month. And, you know, it's been, you know, maybe not people we know personally, but like people we knew, John Prine being a prominent musician, Um, there's people from the world of sports. And you're exactly right. We, 
I, I think most people in this country, if not all people in this country, now know somebody who's had to deal with the virus. Um, you know, our former colleague, uh, Kaylee Hartung, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, because she was on the front lines in, in Seattle. Um, one of our editors, Adi Joseph, and his family uh, went through it in what is just a terrifying yeah. story. Um, you know, uh, just announced today, Todd McShay, you know, the NFL drafts tonight. Yeah. Todd McShay is not going to be working it for ESPN because he has been, um, you know, he, he's battling COVID-19. And so, you know, like I, this is stressful for all of us, you know, in the spirit of transparency, we had to stop this podcast because my kids are downstairs just wrestling each other and screaming um, and was coming through the mic. You might have caught some of it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so this is stressful yeah. for all of us, but it is especially stressful to you know circle back to your initial point and scary for the people working on the front lines. Like one of my best friend's wives is a nurse wor- who was working on a, a coronavirus unit, you know, every day going to work, knowing that she's putting herself at, at real risk. So the people in the hospitals are amazing. And the people who, um, honestly, the people in the grocery stores are amazing like you know i mean those are the ones i mean who at least in the hospitals you know you are head to toe covered up you know kroger it don't quite look the same way and these people aren't making the same money at kroger that you make when you're a nurse or a doctor and yet they are um in real ways putting themselves at risk and and um it's just a, a, a crazy time like i i had this moment the other day where I went into a local pharmacy, I just had to pick up a few things. And, you know, I parked my car and I put my mask on and I walked in and everybody's got mask. It's just like, what is yeah. happening? Like, it's, I don't want to say it was, it's, it's um, unimaginable because we had two presidents before this president, one Republican and one Democrat, both warn us that this was going to happen at some point and we need to be properly prepared for it and not to get political, but clearly we weren't properly prepared for it. So I never say it was unimaginable. It was very easy to imagine. We were told, but it's still a pretty surreal scene when you walk into a local anything mm-hmm. and everybody in the United States of America is wearing a mask and, um, you know, yeah, yeah, we're all fighting this as a country. But again, the people who are in the hospitals, the people who are at the grocery stores, just a, amazing individuals. And we obviously hope everybody stays just as safe as possible. Yeah, we don't have a way of giving a true like five star nice comments uh, <laughs> thing back to the those on the front lines there. Everyone from delivery service to grocery store workers, uh, you name it, in the hospitals, all of it. But our, you know, I'm sure there's just a small cluster of you who happen to listen to the podcast or are related or you know married or we, friends with whatever. Are just immense, immense thanks. I just I've been thinking about it more and more as we continue to not necessarily spin our wheels, but not get as enough forward momentum as maybe we would like. And every day, it's just it's one thing after another. We want to get forward, we, you know. And there are encouraging signs, uplifting stories, and then there's there's frustrating data and frustrating. And anecdotes that we are seeing there so truly i feel like we are trying to get through this together and podcasting the very nature of it can be a very isolated thing some people like it because of that so if you see this podcast if you saw the podcast pop into your feed on thursday or you woke up friday and thought you know what that's awesome and this is just helping in any sort of way trust me like we are very happy to be able to provide that in such a small small way particularly when the college hoop season isn't um 
isn't in season, if you will. But uh, but we're there with you. And as you know, on a, from a news standpoint, as as soon as there are things that are uh, worth talking about that tie to college sports and college basketball on the podcast, like we will obviously keep you updated, present uh, reporting and opinions on on where this might go. But there are still so many unanswered questions, and I don't know if we're going to get questions to those in the next couple of weeks uh, in regard to uh, what we'll get with college athletics. So a bit of a tangent. I know you got to go, GP, but I did want to uh, make a, a specific point at the end of the pod just to give those people a shout out. Uh, for sure. So we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. The NFL draft starts Thursday night. And if you're trying to get immediate reactions to what happens there, make sure to check out the Pick 6 podcast. Um, you know, who were the round one winners? They'll let you know. And the guys are going to be reacting after day two and day three as well. On top of that, they're going to have five fresh episodes next week. So if you haven't already, go download and subscribe to the Pick 6 podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, and wherever else podcasts are found. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. And if you haven't already, go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast at uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. If you can, uh, rate it favorably. Five stars, leave a nice comment, and we will talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.